Good morning, everybody. I also greet you this morning in the name of Jesus. We have uh, a lot of ground to cover this morning, and so I hope you've all had a big breakfast and you're ready to settle in for a little while. We're going to be in Psalms 107, and we're going to be focused on just a few verses there. Um, in that psalm. But before we begin, I'd like to also just dedicate this time to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven this morning, I'm bowed in your presence and just humbled before you at this privilege and this opportunity again to share your word. And uh, I just want to ask you this morning, Father, would you send forth your word in a way that would bless your people? And perhaps even some that don't know you, Lord, as uh, your word is spoken, I thank you that you've said in your word that it will not return to you empty. And so I just dedicate this time to you this morning. I pray would you speak according to your word and minister grace to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Brianna, do you still have that bulletin there? Can I borrow that for a bit? Thank you. So some of you may have noticed that uh, in the bulletin, the title of our message is, Oh, That Men Would Praise the Lord. And the verses that we're going to be looking at are Psalm 107, verse 8. And we're just going to start with reading that this morning. And it says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We're going to talk a little bit more about that verse in just a little while, but before we do, let's move on to our next verse here, which is verse 15. And Psalm 107, verse 15 says this. It says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his wonderful works, to the children of men, for his goodness, sorry, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that verse as well in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to go on and read verse 21 together with you this morning. And Psalm 107 verse 21 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then we're also, we might as well just go ahead and read verse 31 right away. Can anybody guess what verse 31 might say? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Four times in one psalm, we have this statement over and over and over. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. As I was preparing for youth conference uh, just a short little while ago, we had our, youth, our annual youth conference here, and we were blessed to have a number of young people come out for that and be blessed together. But as I was preparing for that, this was something that God revealed to me Um, or maybe I should say God blessed me with as I was preparing for the sessions that I was going to be teaching on and and after a period of preparation 
and just almost agony for the Lord. Show me, teach me what to say. What can I say? Putting the information together. And then this was a psalm. After I was, after I was all done with the operation, or at the end of it, this was a psalm the Lord brought me to. And it basically summarized the thing that I had wanted to say throughout the period of that are we okay with the mic here, or should we switch it? Does it matter? Up. Um, we'll try it out a little longer. It's going to be around a bit, so hopefully it You guys in the back when it cuts out anyway, right? Yeah, no? Okay. We're going to roll with it and hope for the best. Just go to this. For me, to very difficult. Do you want to try it? All right. I'm going to try this over here as much as I can. Can you hear me there? Okay, this is going to be interesting. But here we go. We're going to play a game this morning. And it's a game of discovery. And uh, many of you are probably familiar with it. And it's called Who, What, When, Where, Why, and How. Sometimes. Now some of you are thinking, oh, that's not a game that I remember that we should play in church. But it's actually a really good game of discovery. Whenever you're doing a Bible study and you're into the Word of God, and you want to discover a little more about what the Word has to say to you, it's actually a really fantastic set of questions that you can ask yourself and you can ask the Lord as you're discovering what it is that He's trying to teach you in that particular portion of Scripture. And so for our purposes here this morning, we're going to be asking those same questions, and we're going to be looking at simply these four verses, which are exactly the same, every single time, and you can pick whichever one you want to read out of in that psalm as you have your Bibles open there, but we're just going to look briefly at these questions of who, what, when, where, why, and how. And if I get my notes right here, it'll be easier for me to follow. So the first question we're going to ask ourselves this morning is the question of who. Now, there are two answers to that question here in Psalm 107. So we're going to address both of those first before we go into anything else. So who are we talking about here in Psalm 107? It says in verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Okay, so the first one that we have to identify here is men. Who is this Psalm talking to? Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Okay, so some of you ladies are probably thinking as you sit there, well, maybe that excludes me and I don't have that same uh, opportunity and maybe calling or responsibility, however you want to look at it. But when you look in the scriptures here, as it identifies, actually, if you go back to the Hebrew in this particular psalm, we could go a lot deeper and we could talk about the, the different contexts and the wording that's used here and how it's chosen. It's actually a lot of it has been chosen that way in translation. And for those of you that are reading in the ESV, you'll, say, you'll see that yours reads somewhat differently. But even though it reads somewhat differently, it, it sends the same message. It conveys the same message. So when we're talking about men, we can go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 for a moment. And just read there. You would think right at the beginning of my Bible it would be easy to find. 
In Genesis 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over every... Uh, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So I would like to suggest to you this morning that when it talks about, when the psalmist here laments and cries, oh, that men would praise the Lord. He is referring to every human being created under the sun. He is referring to men and women. He is referring to children. He is referring to every person created in the image of God. Everyone that would receive the blessing from God, the benefit from God, everyone that would know a relationship with God. When he says, oh, that men would praise the Lord, he is lamenting and crying to every single one of us this morning. Oh, that we, oh, that you and I, would remember to praise the Lord over and over and over again. He says this. He's referring to all people. Would you agree with that? Yes? Amen? I heard at least one of the ladies agree with that, so the rest of you ladies can confirm, amen, that yes, it is in fact referring to all of us, not just the men in the room. However, it is referring to the men in the room also. So please don't exclude yourselves from that. Oh, that men would praise who? Because we still have to ask the second question of who are we talking about here? There's two individuals, people to address in this scripture. And the second would be the creator. We, the created, all people who were created in the image of God. Oh, that we would praise the Lord the Lord of hosts. In Genesis 1.1, we find that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This is who he's talking about, the creator of all things, the one who was before any of this existed, before there was light, the one who spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light, the one who created all things in six days, the one who made you and I in his image after his likeness, that we would praise him, the Almighty. Psalm 19 Verse 1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows us his handiwork. That's who we're talking about here. We're talking about, oh, that we men would praise him, our creator, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, that we would acknowledge him, that we would take the time to praise him. Revelations 22:13, he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 8, again says, or also I should say, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And then in 1 John 1, 5, we read that this is the message that we've heard of him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the one that we ought to praise. And I, I, I'm tempted to say the one that we should praise or the one that we are instructed to praise but I want to be careful about my wording in that because this is the one, the Almighty, that we ought to praise. And we ought to praise not out of obligation, not because a psalmist told us that we should, but we ought to praise because of who he is, because of what he has done. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his wonderful works. 
and for his goodness. And we're going to get into the why a little bit later on. But this is the one that we're talking about. We're talking about the Almighty, the one who is light and who has no darkness abiding him at all, in him at all. And in John 8, verse 12, we read that Jesus spake again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And in 1 John 4, 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. This is the one. This is the who. The who is you and I. And the, the who, the object of our praise, is the Almighty, the God who is love. And in Jude chapter 1, verse 25, the, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. The only wise God... You know, there are many false gods all around. There are false religions all around. There are so many other things that could take our affection and our praise that would distract or take away from our focus on the Lord. But we are looking and speaking this morning about the only wise God, which is the only God that was not made by man, but that, that in fact was the other way around, the creator of us, the creator of all things. Oh, that men would praise the Lord, the creator of all things, the one who loved them, our heavenly Father, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. So now that we've established those two things, um, we, the created, that we would praise the creator. So let's talk a little bit about the what. What does it mean to praise the Lord? What does it mean to praise? You know, it was an interesting thing. Sometimes when I get into these studies, I, um, I like to look into the, the word definitions a little bit. And uh, I had to chuckle a little bit at, at this one because the original language for this word here for praise is, is yada. And I don't know if you've ever heard the term yada before. But sometimes we'll, I like to take interesting tidbits like that to help me to remember words, but you've probably at some point in your life heard somebody say yada, 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 right? Well, that's what came to my mind when I looked up this word, like yada, yada, yada. The next time I hear somebody say yada, 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 you know what I'm going to think about? Praise the Lord, right? But the, the original language, the word in the original language is yada, and it's an interesting uh, definition Primitive root used only as denominative, sorry, literally meaning to hold out the hand physically. So there is this idea of physical action. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. You know, as we were worshiping, I know some people, as we stand up here to worship or we stand uh, in, the, in the pews there to worship, some people like to hold up their hands to worship as, as, as a way of identifying that we are exalting the Savior. We're worshiping him. And we have our hands lifted up toward heaven to him. And, and I thought it was interesting that the word praise here would indicate, have that indication of lifting up the hand. Or physically it would mean to throw, to throw at or away, to give out, to send out. So again, it's a physical function. It's something that we send out, something that we give out physically, intentionally. Intensively, um, it's to bemoan. To, to long for on the inside, to, to, to bemoan, to long for. And I could relate to this as I was preparing this message because that was 
the longing and became the cry even of my heart is just that we would praise the Lord. And it was almost like I couldn't, I couldn't ring it out from within enough to share it with you this morning. Like, I don't even know how to tell you um, the impact that this verse had on me and just this longing that God gave me that, yes, in fact, we would praise the Lord, the one who gave himself for us, the one who loved us, that we would give him glory, that we would recognize what he has done, and that we would remember the things that he does for us. So what is it that the psalmist here longs for men to do, to praise the Lord? Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Next in our list of questions is when and where, but I think the when and where will make a little more sense when we understand the why just a little bit better. And in order to understand the why just a little bit better, um, we'll go through and identify a little more of this psalm. So if you have your Bibles, let's go right back to the beginning and read this psalm together. The psalmist writes in verse 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I want to pause here for just a second. Okay, we're going to get into this a little bit more. But for many of us in our culture, in our background, in our history, we have adopted this idea that it's arrogant for a person to say that they're saved. It's arrogant for a person to say that I have salvation, that I have peace with God, and that I'm going to heaven, and I know that I'm going. But the psalmist actually suggests quite the opposite here, and he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, I just want to put that in there this morning because I want to confirm to you this morning that it is not arrogant nor prideful for you and I to say and to sing, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. He set me free. He delivered me from my enemies. I was lost in sin, and he exalted me. He pulled me out of the pit that I was in and out of the darkness that I, that I was in, and I am redeemed. And we're going to see, hopefully, a little bit this morning why that's not arrogant, why that's not prideful, and why, in fact, not only should we, not only is it okay for you and I to say, with, together with the saints and with the psalmist, I am redeemed, it's actually fitting and right for us to do so. I believe that God wants you and I to know his love in such a way so that we can declare with confidence and with boldness, I am redeemed. He purchased me. He gave himself for me. And I will praise him as long as I live, as long as I have breath, as long as there is any life within me, as long as this human body is still functioning, I will praise him. Not because I'm great, not because I have attained to salvation, not because I was that good that I, I know that, that I deserve heaven, not because of any of those things, but because of the goodness of God and because of his wonderful works towards the children of men. If there's anybody in this room or maybe even anybody listening this morning and you cannot say together with the psalmist that I have been redeemed, then I would encourage you this morning to take that matter up with the Lord and to call upon him 
for exactly that, for salvation and redemption. Because he has called you to himself, because he has given his son for you, and we're going to see a little bit more about that as well. But um, if you have been redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord give him glory for what he has done. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Sorry, I got a little carried away there. Let's move on there in verse 3. And he has gathered them out of the lands and from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness. Now you see the, the pattern that he's building here is this is who the Lord is, and this is what he does. This is how he responds when men call upon him. And then it's almost as if in the middle of that thought and acknowledging and seeing everything that God has done, the, the, the writer can't help but just stop and, 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 and think and consider, oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Like in the middle of a thought, there's a pause. Oh, wow, what an incredible God we serve. Wow, the things that he's done for us. And then he continues on. For he satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the word of, words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and he brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, I want to show you an illustration of that a little bit that helped me to understand the magnitude of what has been done here for us. But it's going to require that I move away from the pulpit a little bit. Are we going to be okay to do that? We're going to give it a go, and we're going to hope for the best. As I was preparing for the youth conference, I was looking for ways or asking the Lord to show me ways that I would be able to understand and help understand a little bit uh, about what the Lord has done for us. And... Uh, it resulted in me sitting in a lawn chair and uh, just thinking on it a minute. Actually, that's not entirely true, although I do look really like this chair. I'm going to ask my son Micah to come up and have a seat on the chair here for a minute just so we can uh, put him on the spot for just a little bit. Look at you, just sat right down there before I even had a chance to sit him down as if he was eager to be there. Um, back in Genesis, we find that after God created uh, man in his own image and after his likeness, we find that there was uh, a tree in the garden that they weren't supposed to eat from, and I believe it was in Genesis chapter 3, and you can verify that for me if you'd like, if you have your Bibles, but Genesis chapter 3, there was a serpent that came to Eve and deceived her and beguiled her and tricked her into believing that this fruit that you think you're not supposed to eat from, you should actually probably want to eat from it. Because if you do, it'll make you wise, and it'll allow you to see things um, that you hadn't seen before. 
And so Eve went ahead and she took of the fruit and she ate and she gave to her husband and he ate, thinking that they were going to see. And in fact, they did see things that they hadn't seen before because now they recognized that they were both naked and they were ashamed. So that when the Lord came to them, they were hiding. And the Lord said, why are you hiding? What's going on? And Adam says, because I was naked. And he says, well, how did you know that? He had been made wise to the knowledge of good and evil, but he had become blinded. Kathy this than I am. He had become blinded because his sin resulted in a separation from God. Now, if you'll remember a moment ago, are you okay there, Mike? Didn't say that and that he can't say anything because of the purposes of our illustration. A moment ago, we read about God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We read about that God is love. And when you God from the picture, what do you have? When you take away the light out of this room, all of it in its entirety, what you have left is darkness. And so while Adam and Eve thought they could now see things that they hadn't been able to see, they were in fact in darkness. Now, I'm just going to ask you to stand up for a moment, Micah. Don't step on the stairs. Oh, careful. Eee. Not only were they blinded, they became lost and confused because they, though they thought they now knew good and evil, they had no idea what direction they were facing. Just like Micah has no idea what direction he's facing, he maybe does, but we're going to say that he doesn't, and he's getting dizzy and falling down, and oh, 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 and we're just going to sit him back down before he falls. No idea where he is. Not only were they blind, they were lost. They had no idea how to find their way back to God because the nature of their sin had separated them from him. So now they were lost, being cast out of the garden. And by Genesis chapter 4, which is only a short while after the sin was committed, by Genesis chapter 4, we find the first murder committed in the Bible, just a single chapter later. In fact, among the first two children that were born to Adam and Eve, as we see it and as we understand it. And so they were lost, they were blind, they could not see, and they were bound. They could not do anything to remedy their situation and, and, and their relationship with God. Now, do any of you see any relation to this, with this, to what I was just reading here? See, because this is where I was studying a, a lesson on salvation. And after I had put it all together, the Lord opened up this verse to me, and I just it literally brought a tear to my eye because I was just like, God, you just summarized what I have been trying to figure out how to say for weeks, you just summarized in one set of verses. Like, why couldn't you just do that before I started? Would have been so much easier. But it was just such an incredible blessing to me because it was God confirming the truth that was burning so deeply in my heart and that I wanted so desperately to share with our young people and, and with you here this morning. And he says, He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul. Such as sit in darkness... And in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Okay, now that's who we were and that's where we were. That's where we came from. And this is why I say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And there's no pride or arrogance in it. Because as we sat, now if I ask Micah to keep the forefront of his foot on the bottom of that chair so that they don't lift at any point, his arms here and his back touching the back of the chair without moving at any point. And then I say, now Micah, without... Moving any of those things, I want you to sit back down in your chair where, or, or in your seat where you were in the pews. And he could maybe try. 
And if he tried, he might make it a little ways. But if he goes a little too far to the one side, he's going to fall over because there's an abyss. It's actually just a step, but close enough. And on the other side, there's a vast plain, there's a wilderness and an emptiness. And he has no idea if he should be going forward or backward. He has no idea if he should be going one side or the other. He is completely lost. And any effort that he makes to bring about his own salvation, his own deliverance, is an effort in vain. It's a vain attempt at getting right with God because any effort that he makes to get back with God will only result in exhaustion and futility. But what happens in that moment, what happens, you know, you know what I would like to call this situation that my precious son finds himself in here at the moment? Actually, just not, not for him specifically, but just for the sake of the, the analogy. You know what I would call this? I would call this the plight of the Mennonite. Do you know why I would call it that? Because as a culture, we very much believe that there is something we can contribute to our salvation. As a culture, we, we very much believe and we are taught, and it's not just Mennonite culture, it's all over, but we are taught that we need to make a contrib- contribution. We need to do something to get ourselves out of this dire state that we find ourselves in. You need to try harder. You need to be a better person. You need to go to church every Sunday. You need to go to Sunday school. And if you would stop doing that, and if you would be more like this, then maybe, just maybe, if God is feeling generous on that day when you show up at his gate, just maybe he'll accept you and he'll let you in. But the reason I call this the plight of the Mennonite is because it's an impossible situation. And if you continue on that path, thinking and trying that you're going to get yourself out of this situation, you're wrong, you're mistaken, and it's not going to happen. You find yourself in an impossible state, separated from God. And there's only one thing that you can do. And even that one thing, if you choose to do, will be a gift to you from God. It is not something that you will bring up of yourself. And we find that thing here several times also. Because it says here that such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God. Yes, that's us. That's you and I. And contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was no help. Now, Micah hasn't tried extremely hard to get out of the chair yet, and therefore he hasn't fallen yet. But you get the idea. You get the picture. There was no help. There was absolutely nothing that they could do. But then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, he will answer you. And Jesus himself said that whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And so what does he do? When you call upon the name of the Lord, he takes off your blindfold and he says, let there be light. Open your eyes and see. And he allows you to see. Micah now sees where he's at. He sees the situation that he finds himself in. And while he's not yet free, we, we, we can recognize, and we may do uh, well to recognize this over a period or a number of steps. He sees his situation, that he is bound, and he sees the direction that he needs to go, but he also still knows that he's lost. And so calling upon the name of the Lord, he opens his eyes that he may see. You and I need to have our eyes opened when, we, when it comes to salvation. We need to understand and recognize 
that we were in fact entirely separated from God and completely and totally depraved, that there was nothing in and of us that deserved or merited salvation. And when we, keep, when we begin to see that, that's the first steps of God working because we recognize and understand that I didn't earn this. There's nothing I did to deserve this. And we find it, we see the situation that we find ourselves in and we just, we cry out again to the Lord, woe is me. God, have mercy on me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that is the nature of repentance. When you find in the Gospels the message to repent and to believe in the, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the nature of it. You recognize and identify your sin, your wickedness, your lost state, your complete and utter depravity, and that you are bound in it. Now seeing where he is, Micah finds himself in a situation where he still can't break free. And I was in a place like that for probably a good year in the early part of my adult life where I saw how wretched I was and I tried desperately to fight myself free from that place and I couldn't do it and I could not do it but then in their distress and in my distress I called upon the Lord and he delivered me and he began to undo the things that bound me the things that held me down he began to undo them and he showed me a better way and this was all and entirely a work of God there was nothing. How many contrib- What contribution has Micah made so far here other than sitting down so willingly in that chair? And that's the message, part of the message that I am hoping that I can convey somewhat, at least if nothing else, to a small degree here this morning. is just that salvation is a work of God. He sets us free. And then he says, rise up, my child. Go ahead and stand up. And he says, I will set you in a new path, in a new way, and that way will point to life. And he takes us and he turns us 180 degrees from where we were going. And what do we see when we're turned 180 degrees from where we were going? Jesus Christ on the cross. And there he died for you and I to pay the penalty for our sin. And the freedom is ours. And what do we do when we find and we realize what we found? You can have a seat, Micah, thank you. We fall on our knees and on our faces and we give glory to God. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Do you understand the magnitude of how good God is to you? Do you understand how much it took for God to do that? And do you understand how very little you contributed to that? How very, very little you and I contributed to that. You know what you and I contributed? We contributed the blow that nailed Jesus to the cross. That was our contribution because our sin is what nailed him there. And so when you think about the Roman soldier who was driving the nail into the hands and into the feet of Jesus, just think about that for a moment. That was my sin that drove that nail. That's what we contributed When it comes to our salvation, that's what we brought to the table was our sin. And little wonder that the psalmist can't get over this thought as he writes about what God has done for them. And he says over and over and over again, Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness 
and for his wonderful works to the children of men, for his incredible work to the children of men, for his unthinkable gift to us, giving his son to die in our place when all we deserved was that separation from God. And you know what blows me away? Oh, you thought I had already told you that part. You know what blows me away? Back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve commit the sin, and I'm just going to turn there for a bit. Reading in verse 6, the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, and that it was a pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and also gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. And, and, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Adam and Eve had only just committed the sin of eating the, tree, uh, the fruit of the tree. They had only just eaten thereof. And here in our very first conversation that we find takes place between God and these two people, we find already God putting into action a plan that he already had in place before the foundation of the world was laid for the redemption of mankind. Adam and Eve barely had opportunity to confess their sin, and even that only because they were caught red-handed. They identified their sin, and God was about to take them out of the garden and send them out, and, and he gave them, uh, and he told them some of the consequences and what they would be of their sin. But only just had they committed the crime, and God was already putting into action a plan to bring them back and redeem them. Doesn't that blow you away? They had just done it. And immediately we find God at work. Now, you tell me, what do you think Adam and Eve contributed to this plan of salvation? Sin. Sin was the only contribution that we made. But God in his goodness, and in his love, and in his mercy. Our creator, the almighty God, the God who is love and the God who is light, begins working immediately to bring his people back. Now let me ask you another question. When do you think God began to work to bring you back into restoration with a, uh, in a right relationship with himself? When do you think God began to work to restore your union with him? Any takers? I would submit to you in Genesis chapter 3. 
in Genesis chapter 3. You say, well, wait a minute. I wasn't around in Genesis chapter 3. It doesn't matter. He was, and he knows the beginning from the end, and he formed you and created you, and he called you by name, and he is calling you back to himself. And if that relationship has been made right with the Lord, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I heard a story once, and maybe some of you have heard the story as well, but I heard the story once of, uh, of an individual, uh, a man that was, was accustomed to uh, exalting the Savior uh, while in the congregation and, 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 and just speaking out and praising the Lord. And he went to a, a more conservative, perhaps a Mennonite church, we don't know, but he went to a church, and as he sat there listening to the speaker, the speaker was on the, in the front of the stage And he was sharing, and as he sat there listening to the speaker, he shouted out, he couldn't help, but he just shouted out, praise the Lord. And everybody was a little bit surprised because they weren't accustomed to that kind of outburst right in the middle of a service. Uh, But but they let it go, and soon after, he does the same thing again, and he shouts out, praise the Lord, because in response to what the speaker is saying, and a lady sitting beside him, whose English was not so good, tapped him on the shoulder, and she looked over at him, and she said, We don't praise the Lord here. What she was trying to say is we don't call out from the pew here. We we listen and we speak when it's our turn. But he couldn't help but speak. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and, And while that's kind of funny to think about, that's exactly how we are sometimes, right? We don't praise the Lord here. Well, I hope that's not true. I hope we do praise the Lord here. And I hope that our burden and our cry here is together with um, the psalmist. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Well, we're talking about the why because we're skipping the, uh, the what and the when. We're going to come back to that here. Um, but we're talking about the why. And the other part of the, that I want to talk to uh, talk about this morning a little bit in the why, I just want to continue on reading. And I think we were down here in verse 15, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let's just continue reading the psalm together for a moment. For he has broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorth all manner of meat. They draw near to the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he saveth them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, those that do business in the great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, they go down again to the depths, riding the wave. Their soul is melted because of the trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves are still, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So... He bringeth them into their desired haven. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. 
He turneth the rivers into a wilderness, the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwelt therein. He turns the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. He makes the hungry there to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation to sow the fields, plant vineyards, and make which may yield fruits of increase. He blesses them also so that they are multiplied greatly and suffers not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are minished and brought through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He pours contempt upon princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way yet setteth the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Whoso is wise and will observe these things. You know, one of the other things that I would like you to, that I would like us to observe together here this morning is the constant, or maybe I shouldn't say constant, the pattern that we find here. Men go their own way And after trying to deliver themselves, they can't. They discover they can, and they call upon the Lord, and God delivers them. And he sets them free, and he puts them up. But the answer is always found in prayer. The answer is always found in calling upon the Lord. The answer is always found in going back to the source and the giver of life. The one who can set you free, because you're not able to do it of yourself. You know, one of the things that I come back to time and again is is just this thought of the privilege that you, ha- you and I have and the calling that you and I have to come to God and to present our requests before him in prayer. And we find an, an interesting thing in Isaiah chapter 59 in verse 16. We find an interesting thing. And we find there that God wondered. Now, do you ever wonder about anything? You know, at the, at the conference I asked the youth as well if they ever wondered about anything. Do you ever wonder about stuff? Like, maybe you're wondering, why doesn't he just stand still? Why does this guy keep moving around? I can't keep up. Maybe you wonder sometimes, why is the sky blue? Or maybe you wonder, maybe some of you guys can relate to me. Sometimes we wonder, how fast can my car really go? I don't recommend testing that, especially not on the streets. But we wonder about things. But you know, you, you know what caused wonder in the mind and in the heart of God? Do you know what caused God to wonder? In Isaiah 59, we find that the thing that caused God to wonder was that there was not a man to make intercession. There was not a man found to intercede for the people. In other words, the thing that caused wonder in the heart and in the mind of God was that after he gave multiple promises, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. After Jesus said, come to me, all that come to me I will in no wise cast out. After we read in Peter that God is not, uh, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. After the promises in the gospel that all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. It caused wonder in the heart and in the mind of God here in the book of Isaiah. Why is nobody taking me up on my offer? Like I have just given you a free pass, a free card, anytime, anything you need, anything you want, come and talk to me about it. And it wasn't happening. And here in Isaiah chapter 59, we find exactly that. You know, the eyes of the Lord, they go back and forth, to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for a man on whose behalf he can show himself strong. But here in Isaiah 59, we find that it caused wonder in the heart of God that there was not a man to intercede. There was not a man to come and pray. They wouldn't do it. Now, I gave the illustration at a youth conference. I said, uh, I gave the illustration of a $100 bill. 
And, and I told them that I had a $100 bill on me and that the first person that would come up and ask me for it, that I would give it to them. And how long do you think it took before somebody would come up? Some of you are sitting there wondering this morning if I'm extending that offer to you. And I, I got to be honest with you a little bit. I had to wonder a little bit, why? What are they waiting for? Like, I got a I got hundred bucks. And without question or hesitation, all they got to do is come up and ask me for it. And, you know, the response that I saw, and I should have tested it here this morning, but that's a pretty expensive game to play. Um... But immediately after I put the, the offer out there, several throughout the, the congregation went to get up. They did, like almost like that. But they stopped themselves. And then they sat back down and they looked around at the person next to them. How often have you done that? Before taking that opportunity to call upon the Lord, look at what the person next to you is doing to make sure that this is legit. And then they began to question and to wonder, well, there's got to be a catch, right? There's, there's got to be a catch. Like, you don't just give away 100 bucks. And then they sat, and the longer they sat, the harder it became for them to come up. The harder it became. And then eventually we moved on, and as we were moving on, finally, one young lady from the back came up because, and this is the other thing that made me wonder a little bit, she came up because the people around her coerced her. And I said to one of, the, one of the young guys, I said, why? Why would you sit there and try to convince the person sitting next to you to go get the 100 bucks? Why wouldn't you just get up and go get it? Well, there's a whole list of reasons why, right? There's a whole list of reasons why. And we, we, we laugh and we joke about it. And it was, it was an interesting observation. It was really interesting to see. Um, but it just kind of it helped me to, to think about, you know, it caused God to wonder. If I gave you such a full and free offer, why wouldn't you just come up and get it? And that's the offer that God gives to his children, is that they would have the opportunity to ask whatever they will, and he will give it to them. Daddy, I want $100. What? Yes, I do. And sometimes it takes the faith of a child to teach us as adults that it's okay to embarrass yourself a little bit and to go stand up in front of everybody and to say, hey, can I take you up on that promise? Can I take you up on that offer? Now, I will, I, I will confess to you here that Brianna and I planned this ahead of time. <laughs> but I will also tell you this. The reason why, one of the reasons why it was important for me to plan that ahead of time was because when we did the youth conference and she heard that we were doing an illustration of some sort, money not involved, she wanted to be a part of what her daddy was doing. And, she's, she, and she was all in. Count me in. What can I do? Where can I be? And so as her father this morning, I wanted to make the opportunity available for, for her to be a part of that. And be it 100 bucks, be it whatever it is. As parents, you understand what I'm saying. You want to bless your children in every way, shape, or form, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. You want them to receive good things. You want them to have those good things, and you're blessed when they come to you 
ask you for those things. And that's our Heavenly Father. He wants us to come and to ask Him. And when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we find ourselves in an impossible place, we call upon Him. And He hears us. And in the middle of a storm, He brings peace. As we read in this last portion of this chapter here, the last portion of this psalm here, when there's a storm, there's peace. And I can tell you about a storm. I can tell you about many storms, but over the last few days, my wife and I have been in London and at the hospital with her daughter who went into a, a, a routine of seizures that couldn't be broken. And so Wednesday evening, she started having seizures, and she does have seizures. She has all her life, so this isn't new. She's 13 years old. She went into a pattern of seizures that couldn't be broken. And so finally, by Thursday morning, I took her to the hospital, and they admitted her, and they put her in the critical care unit. And this morning, my wife is there with her now, um, hoping that, they, that they'll uh, let her go home soon because they were able to break that cluster of seizures now, and she is more back to herself. Praise the Lord for that, and thank you for those of you that are praying. Because I believe, regardless of what is going on on the outside, that God hears when we call and when we pray. And I am fully convinced that every single one of those prayers that you have sent up on our behalf has been answered by our Heavenly Father. And while I don't enjoy watching my daughter go through this, I have peace in the middle of that storm knowing that my Heavenly Father knows and that He cares a whole lot more about her than I ever could. And He gives me peace. And He invites all of us, be it in a difficult circumstance, be it in a storm, maybe it's health, maybe we're dealing with some sort of a temptation or sin, Maybe it's something that's external. Maybe it's something that somebody else has inflicted upon us and, and, and we have hurt and wounds and we're struggling with unforgiveness, whatever it is. I believe we can bring all of those things to our Heavenly Father and He hears them, those requests, and He answers. And He responds accordingly. And when I see how great He is, when I see how wonderful His works are and how massive his goodness is, my heart just longs together with the psalmist, oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know, when you look around, if you think that our nation is in a dire state, I can tell you that there's only one reason for that. And maybe you say to yourself, I want to make a difference. I want to be a better person. There's only one reason for that, and that is because of the removal of God, the rejection of God, the denial of God. Because when you take out of the light out of the room, you're left with darkness. When you take love out of the picture, you're left with selfishness and self-centeredness. You're left with corruption when you take righteousness out of, the, out of the picture. And when you take and you remove God, the end is inevitable. We find it all over scriptures in Romans and throughout the scriptures, the end is inevitable. It is time that you and I Brothers and sisters, the redeemed, it is time that we acknowledge him in all of our surroundings and in all of our settings and we give him glory, that we give him praise, that we speak up because he is worthy. It's time that we break our silence and we give him praise, the fruit of our lips. So we, talk about, um, we talked about who, we talked about uh, what, and we talked about why. 
Now I want you to tell me, when do you think is the appropriate time for this? When is an appropriate time for you to do this, to give him praise and glory? I would say that there's never an inappropriate time. We can talk about the when and and we could talk about any given circumstance. Always would be my submission to you. Always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks to him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And where? Where is the appropriate time? Well, you know, we're together in church this morning. Today might be the appropriate time. And after we leave from here this morning, we'll tell one another, you know, God bless you and, and praise the Lord. God is good. But what about in our workplaces? What about in the political scenes? We want to make a difference. It's time that we acknowledge the Lord in all of those circumstances. So where? Is there an inappropriate place or, or, or is there not? I would say the when and the where speak for themselves. And the how is the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name and the surrender of our lives yielding to his will. The how really is up to you because you and I, each of you has been created as unique with your personality. And the how really is up to you because you are expressing yourself and your gratitude to the Lord. So be creative. Find ways how. You can give praise to the Lord. How you can give glory. How you can exalt the Savior. And why wouldn't you? After all that he's done for you. Why wouldn't you? After he set you free. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why wouldn't you? When he hears you as you call and you pray and you come to him and he blesses you and he, and he invites you to come. And there's so many more things that we can say about that. But I'm just going to sum it up here this morning. With, with, with just one statement. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to you and to me, the children of men. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer together. Our Father, once again this morning, um, humbled in your presence, Lord, there's so many things that Uh, need to be said and uh, you deserve all praise honor and glory lord you alone are worthy to receive such and i can't help but think that the psalmist says it so much better than i but i just pray by your spirit this morning would you just bless your people and just minister grace to them cause them to be blessed to be encouraged to be refreshed and just once again excited about how incredibly good you are and about how incredibly awesome you are, and loving, and kind, and you have given us every good, and every perfect gift, and you have not withheld a single thing from us, and that just blows me away. I just, I'm just in awe, Lord, and yet, for all of that, for all of that, far too often we decide to go our own way, and to see if we can't maybe this time figure it out for ourselves, and Lord, I just pray would you have mercy and pour out grace and just allow us to be near to you, Lord, to sit at your feet and to bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.